Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. On today's episode of Foresight Friday Roundup, we're going to talk about the future of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Most people call it the ACA. Others call it Obamacare. What do you call it? So we're going to talk about how President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court could impact the ACA, what a Trump re-election as president means for the ACA, and what a Biden presidency means for the ACA. Speculating on the ACA's future are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Gary Bisbee, co-founder of the Health Management Academy. Dave, Gary, how are you guys doing on this very interesting first Friday in October? Well, you know, I woke up first thing this morning and heard that President Trump and the First Lady have contracted the coronavirus. I don't know how I'm doing, Dave. <laughs> everything, everything's up for grabs, right? How about you, Gary? I'm well. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate it's October already. I was hoping uh, things wouldn't be moving this quickly, but uh, time moves on, and it's Dave said we've got uh, a new wrinkle in the presidential election, so you have to wish uh, wish our president and first lady well. But uh, it's kind of a head scratcher <clears throat> as to how this will turn out. Yeah, it is for sure. All right, uh, now before we talk about the ACA, uh, let's talk about pre-existing medical conditions. Dave, uh, what do you think about Trump's executive order on pre-existing conditions? Oh, it's a total Potemkin village, uh, you know, a, an external facade uh, made to make people believe that a situation is better than it really is. There's no content to it. It's it's not enforceable. It's um, it, it's really just aspirational statement. So uh, it certainly doesn't have the protections that the Affordable Care Act has. So it's uh, it's it's completely um, form over substance. Got it. Uh, Gary, do you think the executive order is worth the uh, paper it's printed on? Well, since you put it that way, Dave, no. <laughs> but uh, seriously, I, I've not really fully understood why the Republicans got on the wrong side of this issue. I can kind of understand the ACA uh, side of it from a strictly political point of view, but to get on the wrong side of pre-existing conditions makes no sense. But yeah, I agree that uh, this is uh, window dressing and nothing more than that. Yes, I think it's right up there with uh, sending seniors $200 copay cards to buy drugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the ACA. Um, Dave, uh, Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. Assuming Barrett is confirmed, uh, what do you think that means uh, for the ACA case that's pending before the court? Maybe the third time is going to be a charm for the Republicans. Um, since they couldn't legislate the repeal of Obamacare, they've taken to the courts. Uh, and this will be the third time the Supreme Court has uh, heard a case challenging the ACA. Uh, the first was the National Federation of Independent Businesses versus Burwell that challenged whether the state could force individuals to buy health insurance, the individual mandate. Uh, and in a five to four ruling, uh, Justice Roberts was the swing vote. 
Uh, he actually dodged the mandate issue by saying the um, it was really a tax, uh, not a not a mandate. That picks up this this latest challenge. Uh, but Roberts also uh, eliminated mandatory Medicaid expansion for states, uh, which is why some states have expanded Medicaid and some don't. The second challenge was King versus Burwell, which basically said a drafting error uh, invalidated the law. Kind of a silly argument. Um, you know, intent almost always rules when there's a drafting area or error. Uh, still, it was a 6-3 vote against the, uh, the appeal with Scalia writing um, the dissent. And that dissent actually went against his previous uh, rulings on, on this particular error versus intent issue. And now we've got uh, California versus Texas, uh, you know, the Thrilla in Manila or the Thrilla in D.C., I guess. Uh, you know, in one corner, you've got 27 states uh, led by California and the House of Representatives arguing to keep uh, the Affordable Care Act intact. Uh, in the other uh, corner, you've got 21 states with Texas in the lead, uh, two individual plaintiffs and the federal government. Um, and they could, if depending on how the court rules, it could invalidate some or all of uh, Obamacare, the provision preventing um, health insurance companies from not granting insurance to those with pre-existing conditions is at the greatest risk. Judge Barrett, should she uh, ascend to the court, has not been silent on these first two court cases. Uh, she excoriated Justice Roberts uh, for his ruling in the NFIB versus Burwell. Uh, she also wrote supporting Scalia in his dissent against King versus Burwell. So it's really hard to believe um, she wouldn't be with Texas on this one. Got it. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Gary, do you agree with Dave's assessment and, and what Barrett's appointment means for the ACA? Let me step back and take a longer view of this. Dave uh, went through a lot of the details here, which is very helpful. Fifty-five years ago, Medicare and Medicaid were passed, 1965, bipartisan legislation. And every bit of legislation since then, every major bit of legislation since then has been bipartisan. The ACA was fully partisan, and it broke tradition of the healthcare legislation of the country being bipartisan. And so a lot of what we have now, which is fully political, um, I think we all agree, one, it's very unfortunate, two, goes back to this point that the ACA was fully partisan, Democratic votes, not Republicans. And that has set up this kind of unfortunate sequence of events where one party, the Republicans, keep trying to uh, destroy the ACA and how it's set up. And that gets back to what we talked about earlier, which is pre-existing conditions, where in the absence of the ACA, uh, if you ask any politician in Washington, they, they'd probably tell you that they support pre-existing conditions. So the whole thing is is caught up in politics. In terms of what Barrett means for this particular issue, they've laid out the pathway that you would expect, or at least that those that are writing about this would expect 
seems the most likely pathway. We've been fooled by judges before. We were fooled by Roberts, as Dave mentioned, and uh, this uh, idea of the Medicaid having the various states have the option to expand Medicaid. Um, and so whether Barrett votes as we expect or doesn't vote as we expect, it's a little bit hard to say. This particular one, uh, Dave went through the pathway here, the kind of main issues, but it's a tough one because there's a lot of legal issues that aren't really business issues. And I'm not a lawyer. I think more like a businessman. So I look at it as a businessman would, but sometimes these cases are decided on legal issues that uh, I'm really not familiar with. But you have to think that based on what we know now that you kind of assume Barrett's going to go the way Dave suggested, whether that happens or not, or what specifically she decides on. I don't know. I think until next June, it's probably going to be hard to, to really decide. Got it. Uh, Dave, anything to add to Gary's comments? Well, I, I completely agree with the heavy you know, partisan nature of Obamacare and, and uh, the fact that Democrats passed the law with, uh, with no Republican support. The opinions uh, are dancing on the head of a pin a little bit by not addressing the mandate question uh, and calling it a tax. Justice Roberts really opened up the way for this latest lawsuit uh, because uh, the Trump administration in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act uh, basically wiped out the penalty for the individual mandate. So uh, this case rests on um, whether or not this is a tax if there's no penalty associated. Talk about it's a a nuanced argument, Gary. Uh, And then the way they interpret that, as I said earlier, could invalidate the entirety of the ACA or or parts of it with the uh, pre-existing condition provision at greatest risk. I think for me, the saddest part of all this is increasingly our justices have an R or a D behind them, and it's politicizing the court in very dangerous ways, particularly when you see uh, justices reversing long-held opinions for what seem to be political reasons. You know, it reminds me of that great quote from The Merchant of Venice, uh, where Shakespeare wrote that the devil could quote scriptures for his own purposes. All right, let's talk about how the election will affect the ACA. Uh, Gary, uh, what does a Trump re-election mean for the ACA? Uh, what does a Biden presidency mean for the ACA? Well, what we know now is that all health care is political in the sense that whether you are thinking about it as Republican Democrat or just thinking about it, that any major health care uh, legislation now is going to, to have some of the same trappings that we've seen with the ACA. Uh, hopefully, we can get back to the point where legislation going forward is bipartisan. Uh, you'd think that people would would learn and and uh, act accordingly, but uh, you despair a, li- a little bit on that point. But getting to the question, I think a lot of it depends on the Senate. Uh, we know that Biden will support the ACA. We know Trump will not support the ACA. 
the question is the Senate. We will no doubt have a, a Democratic House. So if the Senate is blue and we have Biden in the White House, we have the same situation we had with President Obama, where the Democrats said, this is our chance to try to get some health care, major piece of health care legislation through. So if Biden is in the Senate flu, it wouldn't surprise me that they come up with some legislation that will take the current friction points of the ACA off the table. And they may push for uh, something, whether it's Medicare for all or uh, Biden's already talked about lowering the eligibility age for Medicare from 65 to 60, I think. Not sure how that's going to be paid for, but uh, he is talking that way. So my guess is if it's Biden in the Senate, we're going to see some aggressive health care legislation. If it's Trump, of course, we won't see that. So that's the way I look at it. I think the biggest question really is the Senate. That will dictate how far the uh, Democrats are able to go in terms of health care legislation. Got it. Dave, what's going to happen to the ACA under the uh, two election scenarios? And perhaps more importantly, uh, what should happen to the ACA, in your opinion? I thought Gary laid it out uh, quite nicely, and composition of the Senate will be determinative in many ways as to how we go forward. But I'm going to pull a bismi of my own here and step back and look at the big picture. You know, essentially what the Democrats did in 2010 was pass Republican health care legislation with no Republican support. The prototype for Obamacare was Romney Care in Massachusetts. And Newt Gingrich, with think tanks, dreamed up these ideas of public exchanges, mandates, risk quarters for insurance, and so on. And that's part of the reason the Republicans have had so much trouble finding a replacement for Obamacare, because Obamacare stole their best ideas. At the same time, passing it with no Republican support uh, tasted pretty terrible, particularly since there were some parliamentary maneuvers uh, put in place to get the law through uh, after Ted Kennedy died. I continue to believe, though, if we could drain the emotion out of this, that both Republicans and Democrats, at least the centers of each party, have a stake in exactly this type of market-based reform and uh, I think this would apply only to Biden because uh, Trump has uh, poisoned the well with regard to the Democrats. But uh, if I were Biden, the first thing I would do is invite Mitt Romney over for a chat and say, hey, Mitt, we loved what you did in Massachusetts. It became the model for Obamacare. Why don't you come on board as my health cares are? And your only mandate for me is get something that two thirds of the House and Senate can agree to. And I think like Gary saying, let's let's get a major public mandate for, you know, major health care reform that, that benefits the American people. Let's get everybody on the right side of this issue. And it would be quite a signal to the country. I think Romney would do it and it would restore some rationality to this debate, which, as we've talked about today, is really at the at the margins and arguing about small things that have massive implications. We need to get over it. And that w that's potentially one way for that to happen. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. Do you think, Dave, that the Obama administration could have reached out to the Republicans 
back in 2010 and had the, the same kind of uh, approach that you're talking about now? I don't know. There are two sides to that story. You know, you talk to the Obama and they, they say they did reach out and you talk to uh, Republicans on the other side and they said they got nothing but the cold shoulder. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But I think Obama himself, as uh, our first African-American president, just became such a lightning rod, even though he himself was is relatively centrist. At least he was from a policy perspective and uh, conducted himself exceptionally well in office. I, I hope that would have been true. I'm just not sure if, uh, it could have been then. I don't know either, but it would be great if Biden got in to reach out try to take a middle ground here and clean this up. I think the country deserves that. Seems that the only chance of that would be Biden in the White House. Doesn't seem like Trump's going to reach out. Probably the best chance of that would be with the Republican Senate. If it is a Republican Senate, it'll only be by a vote or two. Maybe that would promote the reach out. Uh, one thing about Biden's history uh, is that he has reached over uh, across the aisle. And uh, if he can do it in today's hyper-political climate, it's good for him. I mentioned Shakespeare earlier today, so why not go to go to rhetoric, you know, that that ancient profession. And uh, what, what anybody who knows anything about rhetoric would say is that when you speak in the past tense, it's about blame. When you speak in the present tense, it's about philosophy and principles. And when you speak in the future tense, it's about hope. So I would I would hope that uh, when we're talking about healthcare reform, we're speaking in the future tense about what we can do, not continue to speak in the past tense, blaming one another for what we haven't done. All right. Well, let's let's stick with that uh, future tense idea here and talk about next week. I mean, it's almost silly for me to ask, Gary, but uh, what's the hot health care topic next week? You're right. I guess for the next 14 days it has to be our president and uh, first lady. And who knows how many other people around there have been exposed. And uh, the irony of the situation is is remarkable, but that's probably going to be the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, are we going to be talking about anything else than the president's health? I, I think he, uh, the the political types are going to be talking about how this will play, you know, the sympathy factor versus uh, focus on the coronavirus, which seems to be the last thing President Trump wants to talk about. There's been so much that's ha I'm still focused on the fact that Trump only paid 750 bucks in income taxes in <laughs> 2016 and 17, that Russians put bounties on the heads of American soldiers, and we haven't done anything to counteract that, and that somebody took the president's SATs for him way back when he was in high school. So, you know, I, I have no idea how any of this is going to play in distraction and constant changing of the subject, uh, I think are hard for the American people to keep up with. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Well, guys, this has been a, a, a great discussion. Thank you, as always. And my advice is uh, try not to develop any pre-existing medical conditions in the next few months, okay? Keep wearing your masks, fellas. Right. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed today, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.